Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Journey Church Online. So glad you guys are with us in this week 11, 12, whatever it is now, of this COVID response, uh, where we find ourselves experiencing our worship gatherings on a couch instead of in the church facilities. Um, and guys, I'm, I'm grateful you're here today. And speaking of the COVID situation, we just want to bring you up to speed on what we're doing here at Journey. Uh, the leadership team has been talking constantly and wrestling with how to reopen. And now that some of the doors are beginning to open and there are opportunities for us to begin gathering again on campus, we're working hard to make that a possibility um, towards the end of the month. But one of the things we really need from you as, um, as we're limited on space, we can only allow 100 people in the building at a time. We really need some feedback. So we've sent out a newsletter with an, a little attachment where we're asking us as in a survey for you to tell us your own sense about when you want to return and how you're feeling about these things. So would you please do me a favor? Would you go to the link and would you give us some feedback on how you're feeling, whether or not you have family members and when you'll be coming back. And so we can then gauge when to um, enlist all of our volunteers and begin opening our doors. Really important that we get some feedback. Folks, here's the truth. We are not being slow as um, some people think. We are being thoughtful because we know that we have folks who are in high risk categories and just we're trying to be very, very thoughtful because these are your lives and children's lives and the futures of your health. So we're just trying to be very cautious and do everything in our power to make sure that you are safe when we return. So we also will be enlisting lots and lots of volunteers. We need your help to make sure that we are prepping the building properly, that we're following the guidelines given to us. And so we'd like to know, will you be able to help us with that? There's also a place in the survey for you to let us know you're available. So make sure if you haven't already, check out that through the newsletter that should have come out to you if you're a part of our Journey newsletter uh, family or if you've been a volunteer. But if you haven't, email us at info at avjourney.com, info at avjourney.com and let us know you would like the survey so we can hear from you. But now as we shift gears, I wanna invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10 um, as we begin our teaching today. And as we do that, I just gotta be really honest, I wanna to admit to you that this is a very difficult day because it's a very difficult topic. I would like to have addressed you um, a week ago but because of our recording schedule, I was, un I was unable to do that. And so I wanna just tell you today that I'm, I'm grieving the events today that have happened in our country over the last week and a half. First, there's COVID-19 and the stay-at-home order, and there's a panic sense as everybody begins to figure out what does normal look like in a pandemic. So there's a lot of stress in our world, and particularly in our, in our nation here. Then businesses begin to close, and as some of you know, many of them forever. Then there's the financial stress, the insecurity, the when will this be over, the unemployment, and so many of these tensions that have just brought our emotions to a height. And then when we're finally coming out of the quarantine, as we're finally beginning to see some of the requirements relaxed, there are several race-related violence and injustice issues that take place in succession that just brings the civil unrest, the, the protests, the rioting, and all of these racial tensions to a boil. And folks, rather than continue our in-between series, I wanna step right into the mess today and address where we are as a culture, as a country, more than that, address where we are as a family when it comes to very critical issues like these. 
not because I'm some expert or because I have the inside track and I, I'm here to teach you what I know. And folks, I don't claim to have some brilliant take on all of this. I'm learning and I'm wrestling and I'm praying. Um, but this is a conversation that the church has to have, and I'm inviting you to have that conversation. Just like over the past several weeks, my family and I have just gathered over and over each day or evening or different times for conversations. My, my daughter, she is, she is just constantly, she is so immersed and so passionate about these issues that she is just constantly emailing me and talking and we've had breakfast and lunch together just talking about these issues. And friends, that's what I want this to be. I want you as our church family, me as your spiritual brother or father for some of you to just come in around the table and we're just gonna sit down and have a dialogue about what's happening and how do we respond as members of this incredibly blessed group called the family of God. What is our response? Um, what does God want us to be as the light of the world, as the city on the hill? What do we do in this moment? Because once again, folks, just like with COVID, I think the church is postured, it is literally poised by God for such moments as these. And I think it is so important that we get this right. So today, friends, please don't tune me out. Um, please don't push back. Let's just draw in together around the table and, and let's just talk for a minute about this. Because we all know that racial strife isn't new. This isn't something that's just taking place right now in our divided culture. This is something that all throughout time, all throughout all people groups and cultures and nations and locations, there have been these experiences. But this is our moment as we face this present crisis that we come up with a thoughtful and wise way of representing Christ to our world. And what we have to ask first is what's happening? What is actually going on here? And then how did we get to this place so that we can finally reach the conclusion, what is our response? What do we do about it? And that's what we're gonna to do today. In light of the world's response, what is Journey's response? What is my response? What is a follower of Jesus' response to pain and a history of racial strife? So to frame the conversation, I wanna take us back to a deep, honest look at a text where Jesus deals with this very topic. Jesus was no foreigner to this subject. He was no stranger to racial tension and strife. He was actually parked right in the middle of a huge racial divide, social divide in the first century. So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, as we begin. This is a story we're all familiar with, so don't let your familiarity you know, cause you to overlook some of the most important and significant things Jesus has to stay, say into our moment. Here's what we read. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we in the West, when we read that, we think, what must I do to go to heaven one day when I die, right? But that's not necessarily what he's asking. Because their understanding, he would be asking, when the kingdom of God arrives here on earth, here in Israel, in Jerusalem, and the reign of God begins here through our Messiah, what do I need to do to participate in the life of God, to live in that new reality of the forever life with God? 
And then it goes on. Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And Jesus is asking a lawyer, a person who specializes in the law, what does the law say? What have you learned? And of course, this is interesting. He answered, and he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, which is part of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. This is known as the Shema, and it's basically the central prayer of the Hebrew Bible. It was a prayer that would have been prayed daily by the devout religious people in the first century of the Jewish faith. And then he adds another quote that comes from Leviticus 19, another portion of the law, where he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will experience life. Jesus is saying, come live this way. Live this way with the orientation of your life in love towards God, first and foremost, unrivaled loyalty and love towards God. And then in love towards your neighbor, and you will live. You will experience the fullness of life. You will experience life in the kingdom that begins now and goes on forever. The life we've all been longing for. Black, white, brown, native, you know, immigrant, rich, poor, young, old, male, female. We all want the good life. And this man is saying, how do I enter that? And Jesus is saying, this is it. By prioritizing and focusing and loving God with all of who you are and learning to love your neighbor as you love yourself, you will enter. That is the beginning place of this real life, the good life that God intends for us, that God he dreamed of, he designed us for. This is the way to enter a daily reality of God's kingdom beginning to rule in your life is loving God, loving your neighbor in an undiluted fashion. And that sounds great, but we're not at the end of the story. We move on in verse 29. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself. And so, like many of us, he wanted to feel good about himself, right? He wanted Jesus to look at him and decide and declare him to be worthy of that life. Ever have one of those moments where you're like called out on something? Where maybe you're put in an awkward position and, and you throw up some defense mechanism of fear or anger because we all want to feel good about our, ourselves. We all want to justify ourselves. That's where we find this situation with Jesus and this lawyer. So he asks Jesus, well, this is his defense. Okay, then who is my neighbor? If that's how we enter the good life, well, I've got the love of God thing, but who's my neighbor? Define for me what that means. And there's some very important cultural background to this question. There, there's, there's an ancient Jewish book of wisdom called the Sirach. And in chapters 12, uh, verses 1 through 4 it, of this book, it, it tells its readers to not help a sinner. Because in this wisdom literature that is not a biblical source, but it's uh, just a, a common wisdom literature of their day, it would suggest that to help a sinner is to somehow be complicit in their rebellion against God. So to aid a person who is a sinner with whatever, you've now joined in their sin. So the lawyer, his question really is an attempt to draw a line and say, some people are neighbors, right? And some people are not. Some people are worthy of love and some people are not. Some people deserve our help. And obviously, some people do not. So Jesus, where's the line? Basically, he's saying, God really loves and cares for some people more than others. So you tell me, what is God, where does God draw the line? 
what is God's position on this? Who's worthy to be called my neighbor? And that's the background that Jesus now responds to in the story. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho fell, he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came there to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Also translated, he had compassion, or he felt mercy towards him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you any extra expense you may have. Which, and then Jesus just brings it all home, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Notice the, the expert in the law can't even call his name. He can't even associate the Samaritan with the good guy. So he just says, the one who had mercy. Just a little more background. Jesus is describing a famous road that leads from Jerusalem, from Jericho to Jerusalem. And it's a couple dozen miles long and, and basically it's a very craggy, canyony kind of road where there are many like cracks and crevices that a person could hide or something could spring out and, and attack. And it's interesting, some scholars actually believe Jesus is not just making a random story up, but that he has probably known someone who has fallen into this exact circumstance and he's telling the story. Regardless, the people in the story, let's break it down, a priest, who's a priest? Well, the priests were basically the religious elite in Jesus' day. And if all since Moses' time forward, they were the ones who were the mediators between God and man. They were the ones who took the sacrifices and offered them to God on behalf of the people so that their sins could be covered for that season, for that year. They were the ones who were allowed to tend to the spiritual things of the temple or the tabernacle. They were the ones who actually could enter the holy place once a year. Only the high priest, only the people of the Levitical line, the, the children of Levi, that's where we get Levite, the children of Levi, only they were given the right to represent God in this way. And among them, the priest was the highest of that Levite order. So in other words, this is the pinnacle of the spiritual ladder in their religious time. He was seen as the peak of the pyramid, the most spiritual because he really was a representative of God. And then we have the Levite. The Levite was again the child of, or the, the descendant of Levi, who was one of the sons of, sons of Jacob. Basically the 12 tribes, Levi was the tribe chosen to be the carriers of this special honor to represent God, to take care of the tabernacle and later the temple, to be the ones who managed the spiritual things for the people. So they were considered very important spiritual leaders because of their heritage. So when Jesus, when Jewish people heard Jesus mention the priest or the Levite, they're thinking immediately, oh, those are the good guys. Those are, those are the heroes of the story. 
They're the ones that Jesus is about to use as an illustration for what we should do in a, in a situation. Who, the person who does the right thing, well that will obviously be the Levite and the priest. And so we gotta tune in here because Jesus is gonna say, now here's what you should do. Follow the Levite or the priest. But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus twists the story in a very unexpected direction and he brings in another character called the Samaritan. And these were a racial group that were of Jewish ancestry and had Jewish blood, but during this one particular season of Babylonian captivity, they had intermarried and mingled with the cultures and the races around them. So because that, when the people returned from Babylon back to their city and began to reform Jerusalem as the center place of their culture, they rejected those people and they basically, the Samaritans, those from Samaria who had done this, were considered outcasts and rejects. There was this great, incredible racial divide and there were, they were tainted blood. So they were the rejects of society. And Samaritans and Jews were like arch, arch, arch enemies in the first century, a lot like Jews and Palestinians are today. I mean, there was such a deep racial divide that it's, it's, it's in a, a long-standing history of violence that it's hard for us to get our arms around it. So a Samaritan in the story would instantly be identified as the bad guy. Ooh, you know, that's, that's the one everybody would hiss and like, ooh, that's the bad one. So he's gonna represent the thing not to do in the story, right? Wrong. See, the challenge I, I have for you is that the story is so well known that you, you may just immediately go to the conclusion, you go to the outcome, and you know, oh, I know this is where this is going. But don't miss the spiritual and cultural significance of this story in this moment. This is a very controversial, subversive story. It was, it was a story about racism. It was a story about crossing the racial divide. It was about who God loves and who God rejects, about who the kingdom is open to and who are the people and the children of God. Jesus makes the enemy the hero and the heroes the enemies. This would have blown their minds. No wonder there was so much pushback. So today, when we read it, we hear the words Good Samaritan, we're thinking, oh yeah, I remember that story. It's, it's a nice guy who did a nice thing for, for, in a bad situation, right? He did the right thing. But to a first century Jew, to hear the word good Samaritan would be like for us maybe hearing the good white supremacist or the good Al-Qaeda terrorist. It's like those, those are such opposite terms. It's like there's no way you can put them together. And so it can be hard for some of us to relate to this level of hatred and the tension that would have been in the minds of the people as they're hearing this. That's the context Jesus is speaking into. And in this moment, the deep-seated hurts and tensions would be bubbling up as they hear this from Jesus, their rabbi. The painful past experiences that they had all had with encounters with the various races and the various cultures clashing had led to resentment and distrust and all of this violence. So this is the divided culture Jesus is speaking to. Friends, this is still the divided culture Jesus is speaking to. Jesus is telling this story not for one time in one place, but for all time, for all places where humanity finds itself divided by the issues that we consider important and valuable, by the cultures that not, not only were they meant to be beautiful and different and distinct, but have somehow become places where dr we draw lines and say, this person's out and this person's in, this person's acceptable, this person's not, this person's one of us, this person's not one of us. And Jesus is saying, where were you drawing that line and who gave you the right to declare God 
and his position on this. God's position may not be what you think. It's easy to miss how powerful and relevant this story is right here, right now. His words are as important as ever. So as the story begins, we see Jesus is talking about this traveler. He doesn't identify who or what race. He just said a guy falls into the hands of robbers and is beaten and left for dead. Then he says, along comes, right along comes this person who is a religious spiritual leader. And, and their, their whole culture would lean in and be like, oh, of course, this is the guy who's going to do something good on behalf of the man in pain. But what we find is instead of going over to check him or offer help or, or to cross the road, he, he takes the path away from the situation and leaves him bleeding on the ground. And it's easy to look at the priest and the story and the Levite from a distance and say, oh, yeah, the religious people are the worst and, and pastors are especially bad. And, and sadly, that can be true sometimes. But we need to realize they would have likely been going to or coming from the temple. A little more context. Many historians argue that the way the system worked at that time was because of the place of the temple, a lot of the Jewish Levites, the leaders of the law and the priests, would live in Jericho. And so they would have to make this trek. They were on rotation. They would only serve in the temple for a couple weeks of the year. And so when it was their turn to go to the temple, they would have to travel this road between Jericho and Jerusalem. Not only that, but in those days, the way they made their living, the priest and the Levites' life was from basically from the tithes and gifts that people brought to the temple. So in other words, they didn't receive just money from the, the temple and from their position. They literally received food and clothing. That's where they got their life-sustaining needs met was from this ministry. So for that person, they would leave their families in Jericho, make the journey to Jerusalem, and their two-week rotation would be on. And basically, they would then get their food and get their, the things that they were given as part of this ministry, and they would return home to feed their families. Add to that, these priests and Levites, basically, they were under the Torah, which meant that they were very strictly forbidden from touching dead bodies because it would cause them to be unclean and they couldn't represent God in an unclean state. They couldn't represent the people before God in a contaminated state. So to go up to or touch a dead body would make them unclean. They would have to go, have to go through a ceremonially cleansing a ceremony that they would become clean again before they could hold that position and participate in the work of God. So to go over, to have, you'd have to get close enough to this guy to find out, first of all, does he have a pulse? Is he breathing? You would have to get close enough to perhaps touch, and that could make you unclean. It could cost you days from work. For them, it could cost you the very food, because if you touched, anything that you touched became unclean. And if you had food with you and you touched a dead body, even your food would be unclean and would be unuseful. You would have no way to feed your family that way. Besides, this is a very busy road, and surely other people would be coming by at some time. So how many of you, when you read the story in the context that they would be seeing it, would think to yourself, oh, you know what? Yeah, I get it. Somebody would probably be coming along soon, right? Why risk your profession? Why risk your family's food? Why risk your opportunity to be, you know, taken out of work? And maybe you would, on the opposite side, would say, I would never do that. I, I could never just walk away from a person in pain. But I just, man, my mind instantly goes to myself, and I'm like, that's me. How would I ever do that? 
But how many times have I been going to or coming from church or an appointment or a meeting and seen somebody broken down on the side of the road or seen somebody out in the rain or in a bad situation and just said, oh man, I'd love to do something, uh, but I've got to move on. I've got people waiting. I've got this appointment. I've got this situation. That would take me out of the work of God. I would have to interrupt the work of God to do this. And basically I'm saying I would have to stop the work of God to do the work of God. Friends, this is where we are as a culture. One more current reality is we've all just witnessed what it looks like for a person to be in need and for people to not know what to do. How more real can it get than George Floyd being pinned to the ground with his neck pressed to the concrete, crying out for life and, and breath and his mother and having people stand around and not know what to do because the person in power is the one bringing this incredible pain and death to this man in full public. And friends, I'm not trying to go political, but I am going to go personal because this is the point of the story. This is the point Jesus is making about our involvement in our culture, in our moment, in our pain, that we as followers of Jesus have to decide who is my neighbor? Who is worthy of me crossing the road and engaging myself and taking some risks? Who is worthy of saying, hey, this cannot abide. I will not stand by and let this happen. And I'm not casting blame on people that were there. I have no idea how I would respond. I wish to believe that I would say, man, stop this. Somebody stop this. Don't do this. You're choking the man. You're killing the man. I would love to believe that, uh, that I would not stand by. And I guarantee you, if it was a family member or a friend or somebody I knew and loved, I would be the first one to dive in and take the loss. But my heart goes out to, what if it's a stranger? Who is my neighbor? Who is worthy of that risk? And hear me, friends, I'm not casting blame. I'm not saying that there's not tension and there's not a whole world of pain and crisis going on here. I'm saying there all of these realities still bring us to the same question. What would we do with somebody's pain and our presence? What do we do? And hear me, I, as much as anybody, want to believe that I would step in and stand for right and do the thing that needs to be done. But I've seen myself back away from awkward situations. I've seen myself try to avoid a conflict just because of what it would cost. I know myself. I could see myself saying, well, this is a busy road. Somebody else has got more time. Somebody else could stop and help. I don't have the position. I don't have the authority. I don't have, I don't have. And folks, here's the thing. It sounds so hypocritical, so callous, so shallow when I say it out loud, but to be honest, I see this tendency in my own heart to avoid difficult things. How much more do we all do that? It's really easy to judge, and yes, in this case, it's severe. It's a person's life and death. This, but this is a thing in all of us. And we don't just want to slow down to take the time sometimes because there's a painful reality to this. In a situation where it's a racial tension issue like this, you don't want to get too close to the controversy. A lot of pastors are running the opposite direction or just avoiding the conversation because, hey, you say too much. You're going to lose tithers. You're going to lose people who support you. You're going to create a tension in your church. Make sure you aren't risking too much. Look out for you and yours. I mean, 
What would my friends, my family, this is what everybody's thinking. What would my friend, what would the guys at work think? What that would I lose my seat at the table? Would I lose financial, you know, situation and and security? Would would I risk too much? Would I lose my own safety? Would I be arrested? This isn't really my problem. That's really not my neighbor. It's not my responsibility. But friends, our country will never be healed. If the followers of Jesus keep passing by on the other side of the road, the racial divide will never be mended. If people that represent the, seek, the center-seeking God, the, the, the son-sacrificing, Samaritan-loving God, if the people who represent that God avoid the very brokenness that he sent us into the world to heal, these are our situations, these are our neighbors, these are our people. And healing starts with understanding. We can't understand what we're unwilling to see. And we can't fix what we don't acknowledge. And we can't walk away and claim to be the hands and feet of Jesus when somebody is in need. And friends, I know that for us, we have to get close enough to the problem to diagnose it. So here's my takeaway from this story for our moment. In the story, the only person who actually loved his neighbor, the only person who actually reflected the heart of God, the only person who truly began to live out the ways of the new kingdom, the new reality of the reign of God, was the man who was least in society, the outcast, the hated one, the Samaritan. He had little to lose, but he risked it all. And that, my friends, social reputation, financial benefit, personal safety, that is what we're called to do in this moment. Jesus said that the person who was truly being transformed by God's grace, who had truly stepped into life in God's kingdom, who was truly a member of God's family and the citizen of the new kingdom, is the person who recognizes that our neighbor is the person in need. The need is the call. You don't need a big flashing sign from God in heaven. You don't need a voice from an angel. You just need to see the need because the neighbor is the person in need. That's what Jesus' followers do, is they move towards the person in need. And they look like the Good Samaritan in the story. They interrupt their busy lives. They sacrifice their reputation. They risk their safety. And they help somebody who's hurting. And basically, that's what Jesus said he's calling us to do in his place. That's what Jesus did. Think about our Messiah and how he laid his own life, the reputation that he put aside. Think about his example as he said, be like me. What does it mean? Philippians 2 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Put others in your shoes. Love your neighbor like yourself. Don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what was that? Well, he tells us, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. I love the New Living says this. It says, he gave up his divine privileges. Come back to that. By taking the very nature of a servant, he made himself in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus laid down his own advantages. Jesus gave up his divine privileges 
so that he could rescue those who had less privilege. And I know, that's a loaded word. Even to hear the word privilege, you're like, wait, that's in the Bible? What does that mean? I mean, it's a trigger for a lot of people right now. And personally, I've never given it a whole lot of thought. I'm just a good person like so many of you. I'm a good person. We just do good things and we're out trying to do good in the world. So we kind of divorce ourselves from the story and say, well, it's not me. You're not, this isn't me. You don't understand me. I'm not that racial person. I'm not that person who is, you know, got ugliness in his heart or hate in his heart. I'm just, I'm just a regular guy. But recently, I personally have been reconsidering what it means to be a person who has been advantaged, privileged, as a follower of Jesus and what that looks like. And here are two common responses I'm getting right now as I talk to people about this issue and this concept of having advantage in life. Two common responses to the word privilege are first, denial. What? Privilege my butt. Nobody's ever given me anything. I've earned everything I've had. I've worked my tail off. I don't have privilege. I resent that suggestion. Often said with anger and resentment because, because to be honest, we feel like somebody's accusing us of doing something wrong. And that is not what's being said here. Then the other response is deflection. Oh man, sorry bud, uh, not my problem, got my own worries, got my own issues, somebody else's battle. Hey, hey you know what, I'm totally with you. I, I, I agree with you, there's a lot of evil in the world, a lot of bad stuff, but man, I, I have my own issues. And we just kind of move off to the other side of the road, dismiss the problem that's before us because, well, we just, we just can't be involved. Because when it comes to privilege, and let's be honest, most of us have experienced blessings and advantages we don't even recognize as great gifts because we're so used to it. That's not true of everyone. Friends, I have walked the projects in New York. I have walked through the streets of the Bedford-Stuyvesant District. I have been to Harlem. I have walked through those. We have done outreaches. We have been in Miami in the projects, in the ghettos. We have been to Washington, D.C. I have been to Los Angeles. I was with a group of, that was doing a connection event there, an outreach event in Linwood when gunfire erupted in the, in, at the base of the church that we were staying in and we were huddled together up, upstairs as gunfire was hitting the building that we were staying in. I have been in these points and let me just tell you, that is not my experience growing up. I did not live like that. I did not come from those places. I like to think I'm just a normal guy. I'm just saying that I have had advantages that I didn't even know were advantages till I saw somebody else's disadvantage. And again, one person described it this way. I wanna read this. He said, imagine there's a group of people playing Monopoly. They've been playing for over an hour and all the best properties are taken and they're, and they're loaded with hotels. Then suddenly you're invited to join the game and you're honestly really happy, even an hour late because you've always wanted to be in the game. You've wanted to be a player and you've dreamed of owning property and having a seat at the table, but you have no money. So at first you just try to get around the table and, and get past go to collect a little. But instead of the game being a, a source of joy, it's a game of fear when you're praying and hoping that you don't land on a property that somebody else has owned and established power on before you even came into the game. Then after you play a few rounds and you've lost everything you have, you realize the safest place for you is maybe just jail. And he said in many ways, for many groups of people, that is what it feels like to participate in our culture. I know it's a crude illustration, folks. And, and please hear me, I am not blaming anybody for having blessings. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. This is not an issue of blame. This is not an issue of shame. 
If you're getting that from me, you have not heard my heart. My point is that this is a place to say, I want to be like Jesus who used his advantage for the advantage of others, who literally took his advantages and handed them off, who took from his blessings, his resource, his abundance, and he said, I want to advantage somebody else. I want somebody else to have the good life. I want somebody else to experience the things that I have been given so graciously by my Father. Friends, what I'm saying is, for the church, it's a moment for us to not only feel the pain of a community of suffering, people of color and those who are feeling right now the pain of these losses, very personally, I'm suggesting that violence and rioting are not proper responses, but there is a proper response, and that is to walk in the direction of my neighbor. I'm, I'm just saying that we, we've got a lot of painful realities that are surrounding us right now, and rather than as a follower of Jesus walking away, that we run to. And we look for the wounded and those that society has rolled over, even if in the story, in the context, well, they're guilty of this, or they don't have that, or I, I don't know what to do, or I don't have... I'm just saying, friends, let's move like Jesus did. He gave up his divine privileges, became a servant to move in the direction of those who had no life. And if, friends, if Jesus left heaven, if Jesus left the presence of the Father, left the protection and beauty and perfection and crossed the road, crossed the road from heaven to earth to help us, to love us, to find us broken and bleeding on the side of the road, that's the heart of Jesus for us. That's also the heart of Jesus for the least among us, for the broken, the needy, the disadvantaged. Be Jesus in our context. Just a couple things as I wrap up. And again, I'm only scratching the surface. In 30 minutes, there's no way I could address hundreds of years of pain and loss and difficulty and strife. There's no way that I could address both sides of the issue all together. But I'm just saying, this is the beginning of the dialogue and please stay at the table with me. Here's where we can begin. For those who want to walk in this, who, who want to say, I want to be a good neighbor, I want to enter the good life, I want to know the reality of the coming kingdom, I want to participate in the life of God and the reign and rule of God as it comes on the earth, I want to be the good Samaritan. Here's a couple things. First, ask God to illuminate your own heart. This has been where I've been going the last several weeks as I've been turning a spotlight on my own soul and ask where are there places in my own heart where I have maybe had thoughts or actions or attitudes that were less than Samaritan-like, less than Jesus-like, less than giving and loving and self-sacrificing, where have I held racial tensions or profiling or any of these things in my own heart? Where have I not been like Jesus? Then, Listen and learn. Most people of color aren't asking for somebody just to ride in a white horse and hand them things or do something for them, but they would appreciate somebody trying to understand the struggle and identify with them. And rather than giving handouts, it's just like giving opportunity and realizing that the, the playing field is not level and helping where we can address the needs of my neighbor. Then cross the road. Get out of your, go out of your way, get, get out of your comfort zone to help somebody. Lift somebody's burden, wade into the mess. Get, for some of us, it's just, it's just going out and reading a little bit, it's listening, it's talking to, it's forming a friendship with somebody of another race or somebody from an, an ethnicity outside of our own. By the way, we're all ethnicities. There, there aren't just one or two, we're all. 
ethnicities. We're just different versions of it, and we just need to step outside of ours and, and just cross the road. Just find out what, what's going on over there. How can I learn? How can I, and just ask. If you don't know, begin the conversation. Begin the dialogue. Say, I know this is awkward. I just don't. I want to be a part of the good. I want to be a part of the healing. I want to be a part of what brings our world together. Do you, do you have any suggestions for me? And like Jesus, use your blessings to the benefit of the others. Put the serving towel over your arm and say, I'm here to show up with the attitude, I'm here to serve my world. I'm here to serve my neighbor. Ask God to fill your heart with love and open your eyes to the opportunities right around you. Show up, show up, cross the road, step into the fray, move into the difficulty, go into the awkward conversation, begin to open your heart and say, God, I'm here, I wanna be used, I wanna be a part of the answer. Friends, I'm gonna close in prayer and I'm gonna just invite you to join me for a little soul searching, for a little, just a moment of silence, of just reflection and then just a prayer of, once again, surrender. Prayer for a renewed heart. Prayer for a renewed mind. Prayer for a thought process that begins to shape and take the look and the feel of Jesus' thought process. Would you join me? Father, as we close, wow, what a loaded topic and what a challenging place to be in our world right now but what an opportunity that you have placed us in a moment, in a time where we can actually step into, that your people can look like you, can step into the fray and step into the conflict and step into the noise and step into this mess and begin to bring life and love and hope to our neighbor. You did it for us. You left heaven and all the comforts and privileges, you called them privileges, and you said you left them all, the blessings that you had, in order to to empower us to experience those blessings. And God, that is my prayer, that we would learn how to do that. We're awkward, we don't know what to do. Many of us are just like, I wanna do something, I'm not sure what, so God, I pray you would guide us. Begin with our own hearts. Help us to see who we are truly and just to really open ourselves to the reality that there may be things in me that are just not like you. And I want to confess them. I want to, I want to get them out in the open before you, God. I want to turn from them. Repent means to turn and walk a new way. I want to turn and walk from those things that have been ugly and racist and whatever divided in my own heart and mind. I want to then begin to be a part of the healing that you left your people on earth to do. If we run away, God, we're running away from the very reason you left us on earth, to be the light and the hope and the healing. So God, I pray that you would show us our next step as individuals, and as a church, to be the Good Samaritan, to love our neighbor, to be, the, to be the light in this dark world. And I pray this in the powerful, hopeful, and the healing name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. We'll just jump back in next week and we just pray that this week God really works in you and that he just brings us all to a new awareness of what he's doing in our world and how we can join him in the renewal of all things. God bless and we'll see you next Sunday.